is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. That's right. We are back with myself, Brandon, and Phil, better known as at Chelsea Youth, for a youth update. You've all been yearning for it. Uh, it's been a while, but quite a lot has happened, Phil. I mean, not just from like winter break into playing. Apparently, the academy is involved in transfer window more than the first team. So a lot to talk about. Absolutely. I think it's uh, a bit of a cliche for me to come on here and say that everything's been happening and there's so much to talk about. But that really is the case. We're only just over a month into the new year and there's already so much to talk about on so many different fronts. So let's get stuck in. All right. Well, let's just go ahead and start with the Youth Cup. Uh, in case you somehow miss it, massive, massive comeback against Liverpool. Down 3 nothing. winners 4-3. Would you have had it any other way, Phil? Oh, absolutely not. It's, it, it immediately goes down as one of the all-time Youth Cup classics, Chelsea or otherwise. And a decade ago, they did the same thing away to Nottingham Forest, uh, but they were 3-0 down at half-time in that one. They were 3-0 down with 20 minutes to go in this game against one of the favourites for the competition, a team with players that have had first-team experience under Jürgen Klopp at Liverpool um, as recently as January in the FA Cup against Shrewsbury. So this was a good team that they were away from home in unfavourable conditions and pulled out one of the most unlikely comebacks you're ever likely to see. It was just... Once Charlie Webster scored the first goal, you suddenly started to sense that there was a bit of momentum and you know that there's a quality in this team. And then it's, okay, all right, can you make it 3-2? And then they make it 3-2, soon as Bell scores ahead. And now there's a belief in the Chelsea ranks and there are doubts in the Liverpool head. Uh, and it, it, there seemed to be this momentum gathering and yeah, I wouldn't have said that Chelsea were going to win in the 95th minute. I thought maybe extra time, whatever, you give yourself that opportunity to go. But we've seen it time and time again from the academy over the last decade. They don't know when they're beaten. And for the the five youth cups in a row, a lot of the time they ran through those and just dominated everybody. I think one of the years under Jody Morris, they only conceded one goal and that was in the home leg of the final. Sauntered through it. But at the heart of these youth cup triumphs over the last decade, there's been this resolve and spirit to defy the odds and we haven't won the youth cup since 2018 now we're in a stronger position as they have been since and they've got this experience behind them now they've come back in ridiculous circumstances you can draw on that as fuel for the fire to to go forward yeah i know we had another comeback earlier this season too um and like you said just the spirit and the resiliency from this group and then obviously for it to be against another you know strong academy side like liverpool yeah it definitely made the headlines uh thankfully got to see a lot of coverage on that on social media which is always good to see um anytime you know we get to celebrate the upside but again it's like a friendly reminder hey uh, they play more often than you think, like give them a shout, give them a look. Uh, there's probably something exciting for you to see, uh, within that squad and just kind of that team in general. Exactly. And the reward is a home quarterfinal tie against the winners of the Blackpool versus Newcastle United fifth round tie. Uh, both of those are good teams. Chelsea have had some youth cup matches against Newcastle in the last decade, but always away from home. So now they've got the advantage of being at home, which will be at Stamford Bridge. It's the, the way the club work. You play the preliminary, the early rounds at King's Meadow or whatever, and then quarterfinal semi-finals final if you get drawn at home it will be at Stamford Bridge so there's a, a nice reward for the players some of them who won't have played a youth cup game there before and you look around the rest of the draw and there's no Manchester City they're out 
There's no Liverpool, they're out. There's no Arsenal, they're out. There's no Aston Villa, the winners last year, they're out. You've got Manchester United and Everton in a fifth round tie and they'll play Leicester. So those are the three other strongest teams remaining and they're going to, two of those are going to be taken out by the time that Chelsea might face them in a semi-final, for example. And then you've got Wolves or Tottenham against Charlton or Brighton and Blackburn versus Cambridge or Forest. And with no disrespect to any of those teams, Blackburn in particular are enjoying a really good season. Tottenham are always strong at youth level. These are teams that Chelsea would be favourites against. And you're not going to look any further ahead than the next tie. And the Youth Cup is slightly different these days in that the semi-finals and final are just one-off single matches now with the, the draw determining who's at home. It's not a neutral venue. You might remember that when Chelsea won five in a row, their semis and final were always home and away, two leg affairs. They've changed that since. So there's less room for error in that regard. But certainly Chelsea haven't had as uh, as big a chance as this for a while. They they lost the final that was rearranged in the first year of the pandemic against Manchester City. They played it six months after the semi-final. So that was obviously a strong chance. But this, this the draw has opened up for them in a really nice way. Look, you love to see it, right? Same thing with the men's team getting to the League Cup final. You know, you got to beat some good teams along the way. And sometimes luck goes your way where some of the other big teams get knocked out. So we'd love to add that one back to the trophy cabinet. Like I said, 2018 seems like a long time ago uh, when you include the pandemic's fatigue. Um, But we have transfer business, right? So there's a January transfer window. Is that the same for the academy or is moving clubs for the academy a little bit more fluid. Um, I know they sign pro contracts, and it's a, what a two-year minimum. Uh, if you're a if when you sign your first pro, it's a max three years. That's it. Um, and if you're on a if you're on a pro contract, it works the same as everybody else. You can only move okay. and be registered within a transfer window. At younger age groups, you can tend to move around outside of it because they're not professionals. Um, but it can vary depending on the age of the player and when their birthday occurs. But uh, Chelsea have done a lot of business in the last month, primarily signing uh, Dylan Williams from Derby County and Mason Burstow from Charn Athletics. Now, Williams has had a little bit of experience in Derby's first team where they were under a massive financial pressure. So a lot of their younger players have managed to get first team experience over the last year. He's a left-sided player who has played at left back in a four, at wing back in a back five somewhere on the left wing up front. So he solves an immediate problem that Chelsea have had in their under 23 and under 18 ranks for 18 months or so now that they've they've tried so many different options on the left. They've, they've George Nunn's been playing at wing back, for example, Lewis Hall, Harvey Vale, they've all played there. Silco Thomas and Dion Rankin, nominally right-sided players, have played over there. They've had trialists in. They had Declan Frith for a little while. Bryant Milongo came in on trial, but they signed him and he made his debut in the Youth Cup at Liverpool and played very well. And Mason Burstow, um, a, a young striker from Charlton Athletic, who has, again, started dipping his toe into the first-team waters this season, scored a couple of goals for Charlton. Chelsea previously had him in on trial twice uh, at a younger age when he was at Maidstone United and, uh, I believe, at Welling. Um, Charlton were the ones to get him in and give him a pro contract. Chelsea have kept very close tabs on him, and they managed to pull off a deal on transfer deadline day. Uh, the arrangement is that they will leave him at Charlton for the rest of the season and then bring him into presumably the development squad ranks for next season. Um, and then you've got a bigger picture of does Brian Fiabema go on loan? Does Jutsu Bell go on loan? How many strikers do you keep at the club? Burstow, having previously had first team experience, you may not want to have him in the 23s again. He might go out on loan, but it's just another strong, talented young asset 
that's been brought into the academy. Uh, and one for the younger age group that we won't touch on so much because he's an under-16. He'll be a scholar in the summer. They signed Travis Akumia from Watford. He's an England under-16 under centre-half, uh, part of a really strong generation at Watford. Uh, that Chelsea brought him in in early January. He's been played twice for the under-18s. Um, early looks are good. Style is sort of reminiscent of a Levi Colwell, although Travis is right-footed, Levi's left-footed. You'd like to less than five, ten years down the line, they could be a partnership. But it, he, the, him and Burstow and Williams, they all fit the same profile of players at Chelsea. They are technically capable footballers with high le- high level athletic traits. Yeah. So again, kind of interesting, you know, and probably just because I don't pay attention to it. But to your point, like the academy has needs, especially especially on that left side, and they're going to plug the holes. So. Um, and they tried to do that with with Zach Sturge from Brighton as well on, That's uh, on right. deadline That's day. Right. He he's in a bit of a, a contract standoff with them at the minute, and there's been interest from home and abroad. Uh, and Chelsea were reportedly looking to strike and bring in another option at left back. He's a very very good player in his own right, an England under eighteen international, uh, sort of late to the professional game. Brighton signed him from a, a grassroots academy, uh, a very good grassroots academy, one that has sent several players into the professional game academies. Um, every time I've seen him play against Chelsea, he's one of, one of the best players on the pitch. Uh, if Chelsea didn't sign him in January, maybe they return for him in the summer. It doesn't look like he wants to stay at Brighton, but there'll be a lot of competition for his signature. It's that post-Brexit transfer market we've talked about a lot of times. When you can't go abroad, you have a much narrower scope of where you can recruit from and everybody in England has the same problem. So you have to get creative. You had to get aggressive and you have to go in and get the players when opportunity strikes. And as much as it sucks for Derby County to be in a situation where they have to sell their talented youngsters just to keep going, just to keep paying the first team for another month, Chelsea had an opportunity to get Williams uh, and they did. Yeah, no, that's, it's, um, again, something that I just didn't pay attention to cause I haven't had to, but again, Academy is here to do business as well. I mean, they're out there wheeling and dealing. Um, is it the same like recruiting and scouting department for the Academy as the first team or do, do they have their own kind of setup? Is Marina out there signing contracts with them? But I believe it's the club secretary for the Academy, isn't it? Yeah. Dave Bonnard does a lot of the, the contract stuff um, and the admin side, but in terms of recruitment, it's all headed up by Jim Fraser. He's, he looks after the recruitment from sort of nine to 15 and then uh, Neil Bath and the rest of the Academy look at the professional side of it. So if you're looking at Williams, it would have come from that side, but it's all one gigantic operation on the Academy side that is a separate entity from the first team. I'm not saying that there isn't crossover and, and, uh, uh, borrowing of resources here and there but the academy's transfer business is rarely impacted or impactful for the first team side they might obviously the the first team recruitment side will know that the academy will provide a strong level of talent whether that's homegrown or recruited yeah no most definitely uh it's all connected somewhere um so kind of some news again call me naive but uh Tino Andron has left Russia already and is now landed at Huddersfield. Um, we talked about that, you know, the connection between Tuchel uh, and where was he at? Um, 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 he was in Locomotive Moscow under Ralph Rangnick. That's right. And that's one of the they reasons like in the itself. Logo. He's like, yeah, gotcha. it's one of the reasons in itself why, why that move came, um, was terminated in January that uh, when Tino went out to Russia, it was under one manager uh, and a completely different club. 
once Ranjit went to Manchester United, you know, suffered a, a foot injury and hasn't played since um, early October. And so all of that coming together, it gives uh, the player and the club and everybody else reason to terminate the loan early. So he'll be spending the rest of the season at Huddersfield, where Levi Colwell is. They've also got former Chelsea players in Jamal Blackman and Jonathan Russell. So there's a nice little Chelsea contingent there. And they've had Chelsea players over the years. You might remember when Casey Palmer and Izzy Brown were up mm-hmm. there. It's a club that Chelsea clearly trust. And Tino you know, is expected to be back from this foot injury mid-February. Carlos Corberan has spoken about getting him up to speed. And then hopefully March, April, May, really strong finish to the season. Uh, we we know that he's got incredible talent. One of the most productive players coming out of the academy in recent years has had first team opportunities at a young age, played Europa League football in the middle of his first loan, which is something that very, very few players coming out of the academy do. But there's always been bumps in the road to do with injuries. And so you, you're just willing everything to come together at the end of this season so that you go into the summer with a positive head of steam. Right. And for a team to take him on, knowing they're not going to have him for a few weeks is a big deal, right? Because when you bring a new player in, especially in the winter transfer, you want to hit the ground running. He is doing none of the sort. Exactly. There's there's a lot of trust put into the process. And that's not just trusting the player. It's trust in Chelsea in, in the rehab program that they've been working through. And Huddersfield uh, have had a good season. They could push for the playoffs. And if you can have an asset like that come in for the last 10, 15 games of your season in what is really busy in the championship when it gets to Easter and April in particular, it's it's a very busy time. The more game-changing talents you can have, the better your chances are. And he's certainly one of the best young game-changing talents in Europe. So true. I mean, just his physicality alone, you know, made it, made it, you know, youth football easy for him. Um, you know, and now he's going to be challenged, you know, both physically with the pace. So it'll be really exciting to, to see him plus to be closer to home. So I'm sure that's, that's good for him, but I'd be interested to hear, uh, if you could somehow get some, some interview time with him to hear what his life was like in Russia, just cause it's gotta be massively different for, for very obvious reasons. Um, but that's not all, uh, Castillo headed to Charlton. Um, yeah, so, he spent the first know, half of the season with Birmingham and uh, it didn't work out for him there. He it didn't work out for him last season. He had a, a really strong spell with young Ajax um, in the Dutch second tier, uh, but Ajax didn't take up their option to buy him. And so we've had sort of an 18 to 24 months malaise with him and hopefully it works out at Charlton. Uh, another club Chelsea have a really strong relationship with not just um, Conor Gallagher, but they've had Jada Silva and Ian Martinson on loan from Chelsea. So they, they trust the Chelsea left back model um, in terms of development. And hopefully Juan can do similar things to the predecessors. Um, given that he was ahead of Martinson by age, by experience, and was a really productive academy player in his own time at Chelsea, whether it was as a wing back or as a, a player further forward. He's got the versatility to impact the game. And it's just, with players like him, you just need one real strong advocate who's going to trust you in your best position and put you in a position to succeed because the talent's always been there. It's a bit of an opportunity. And then the, that, that malaise can sit in with the player. And before you know it, you're staring at sort of, well, where do I go next? But the talent has always been undeniable. It just needs... That little flick into the right direction, a little bit of luck. And again, if we hopefully look towards the end of the season with him, reignites himself as a player, reminds everybody what he can do. And then the summer is he's to forge his career going forward. Yeah. Well, and then so you make me think about that back to Huddersfield. I thought 
is it a Premier League rule that you can only have one player alone per club? Is yeah, that it is. Yeah, lower divisions. No, it doesn't. The EFL have got their own rules. There are still limits, but certainly not as uh, restrictive as the Premier League's ones are. I don't gotcha. know. Gotcha. I'm fairly sure you're allowed two maximum from a club. Yeah, um, you're allowed five in a match day squad in the EFL, which does pose problem for Charlton because in loaning Burstow back to them, they now have six loanies, so somebody will have to miss out every match day. Um, and there's, there's squad rotation going on all over the place, but at any given time between now and the end of the season, it could be Castillo, it could be Burstow, who is the odd man out in the loan arrangement at Charlton. So that's not necessarily mm-hmm. anything to panic about if it's the odd game here and there, but if Castillo or Burstow, for that matter, start missing two, three, four games in a row, and then it's less than ideal. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And Charlton's in London, right? So it's fairly close. Yeah, to South London, very close yeah. to Cobham, very easy access. Um, and hopefully, some uh, another place. Martin was there last season, and he spoke about the comfort level of being in London, uh, being nearby to to where his home is, and hopefully, Juan can benefit from that too. All right, and then last up, we've got uh, Jamie Cumming heading to MK Dons. Yeah, this is a really um, good one as well. He's um, he just again climbing the ladder exactly in a way that's very reminiscent of Nathan Baxter before him, and Nathan is having a very respectable time of it at Hull right now. Um, clean sheets all over the place since he got into the team. One of Hull's best players, uh, Jamie was at Gillingham for the first half of the season. One of the league ones less successful teams putting it diplomatically okay they've been say. struggling um, <laughs> table doesn't lie steve evans uh, was was their manager for the for a long time and is not really renowned for playing attractive progressive football um jamie came under plenty of pressure but came up with some of the best uh save stats in the league when steve evans was sacked mk moved very quickly to bring in jamie because they lost their own starting goalkeeper andy fisher to swansea jamie's gone into mk and they're they are a progressive forward-thinking team they've got a little chelsea core there as well they've got jo- uh, josh mckechran and they've got they just brought in dan kemp from Leighton orient he was a at chelsea from the age of seven to 16 so jamie's gone in there immediate asset immediate game winning saves and they're pushing for automatic promotions so like we've seen with nathan baxter over the years you take the steps you take one level at a time if you can move up within that level within the same season great the sky's the limit for him he can be in the championship next year he can be in the premier league year after and chelsea haven't really developed an outstanding goalkeeper for all of their academy success in the last decade it's really hard there's only one spot to get into um yeah, but uh, Jamie and Nathan Baxter, for that matter, are definitely on the right track. Whether they make it at Chelsea or not is anyone's guess. Nathan turns twenty-four earlier next season, but at some point there'll be Premier League interest for both of them. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, it's like with a goalkeeper, right? You're in or you're out. It doesn't matter if you're a left winger, you can slide to left back or whatever. It's kind of like, you know, it's it's a lot. You know, you're fighting for extremely limited amount of of minutes, and it's such a highly specialized position, as everyone knows. So it's not like you can cross train. Exactly, and uh, that's, you know, that's a really good point as well because Chelsea have produced tactically versatile players who can slot into midfield, defence, attack with players who can play all over the formation and that lends itself to them being a really useful squad asset, players who can do a lot of things but you can't do that as a goalkeeper. Not only you can't, you have to specialise and there's only one of them on the pitch. So uh, the odds are against any academy goalkeeper coming through. But that doesn't mean that Chelsea don't have talented ones in their system. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, yeah, because essentially, 
uh, Jamie was, you know, essentially since, you know, Caballero left, but he was like fourth string, always kind of rounded out the training. Then, you know, he was third string and now, you know, they're like, all right, let's give him some options as well. And so you've seen, you know, Teddy and, uh, the other, you know, U23 keeper kind of rounding out the bench as the third goalkeeper on an as needed basis, which I think is good. Cause it lets Jamie run out there and, and get some of those super, super valuable minutes like as a goalkeeper. It's, it's, it's good goal- to, be, to spend yeah. some little time around the first team as the third or fourth choice goalkeeper, getting in on a match day squad in the cup and spending and traveling with this, uh, doing the warm ups in the ground. We've seen, as you said, Sharman Lowe's done it, Bergstrom's done it, Ethan Wade's done it. And, at some point you you do have to go out and play get that experience mm-hmm. and that's what Wadey will be doing for the rest of the season as will his fellow academy goalkeeper Sammy Clemsani they've both gone out on right. loan into non-league football um Ethan's done it before he's been at Tooting and Mitchum he's been at Dartford he's now going to Hendon in northwest London so another one that's close by there's every chance that the same arrangement exists where he trains with Chelsea uh half of the week because Hendon a part-time trains with Hendon the day before a game, plays for Hendon. And the same will happen with Sammy, who's gone to Merston, who are very close to Cobham. Um, friendly relationship with the club. So close by, they'll get action in men's football, semi-professional men's football, but a level that you can learn very quickly at for two boys who are good goalkeepers, but haven't had regular academy goalkeeping. They've always been the backups in their position. So Wadey's had to play backup to Lucas Bergstrom and Carlos Ziga, Teddy Sharmanlow. Sammy's been backup to Prince Adegoke and Ted Kurd. And it's, you you can't go that long without playing regularly. So kudos to the club, kudos to their agents to getting them into opportunities at whatever level that might be. And some of the most successful English goalkeepers in recent history have started out at very low levels. Uh, I think a lot of clubs are learning that getting them playing football, moving up the ladder, like we've seen with Baxter and Cumming and everybody else, is the right way to go about it. And there's no physicality in any academy football for goalkeepers. So you need to get out there and be challenged and find it hard. Yeah, for sure. I think Joe Hart was kind of like a, a good blueprint for that. We've, we've seen replicated since then, you know, but you think about it, you know, these guys in the academy, you try to play at the top, top level. You guys have like Lukaku, Giroud, um, you know, players of that ilk and that physicality that you have to go challenge the ball. Like no wonder Kepa didn't come for a cross his first two years here. Same thing with David De Gea, <laughs> you know, yeah. they they had a little bit of uh, a learning to do, but and sometimes Ethan it's really Wade, subtle as well. Sorry for interrupting. Uh, I remember Nathan you know, Baxter good. pointed out really something I don't think people consider when Nathan went on to his first loan in non-league, he said one of the biggest challenges for him were the number of times he was kicking the ball long during a game. In academy football, you don't do it that often. There's no pressure on the goalkeeper. You're encouraged to pass out from the back whether you make mistakes or not and so you go into men's football where it's like it's a territory game get the ball up the pitch uh fight for the second balls and so you go from that academy environment to suddenly being in uh, where everyone's fighting for points and you're pumping that ball down the field 30 40 50 times a game the muscle fatigue from doing that it takes some time to get used to it takes an adaptation to your training to be able to handle that load and it's those sort of things those little details that might not immediately come to mind that is really why where you start to learn quickly when you get into real professional fo- or semi-professional football. Yeah, look, it's a big difference when you know when the ball comes to you, you don't have to pick up your head. You've got time. You can trap it, take a touch, look up, and even probably look short. Now, all of a sudden, while the ball is coming to you, you need to be looking at that kind of middle third or even more advanced third uh, for a pass, and it's not as, as straightforward um, because you're kind of looking at three, four options saying, okay, how close is the defender? How good am I getting the ball to them? So absolutely. And then obviously Ethan Wadey, uh, we've always been had our eye on him because he has, you know, American passport, always trying to see what he's done. And it hasn't been the easiest of times for him. So, again, um, 
great shout from your part of saying like, it's not good enough to be a backup and just even just training at a high level, you need to play, you know, I'm obviously not the same level, but when I was in middle school, I was on the top team, but I wasn't playing at all. And my goalkeeper coach was like, look, you train immaculately. You are great. They're like, but you have no minutes in the game. You need to get that because training doesn't hundred percent translate into games because it comes to game management nerves and all that stuff. So um, great shot on that, that if they sit on the bench too long, their career is essentially dead. So good moves for Takami and um, uh, Takami. How do you say his last name again? I know it's French. I think it's Clemsani, but I, Clemsani. I'm, See, I am I'm not too American. by any means an expert on that. No worries, uh, and Ethan. But hey, we're going to take our break. When we get back, uh, more stuff with the Lone Army, uh, as well as the Dev Squad and kind of uh, upcoming matches. So thanks to the sponsor for Financially Supporting the Show, and we'll be right back. Woo, sauna, here we go. All right, so we've got uh, Balo has returned to the Dev Squad, and obviously the Dev Squad have uh, some recent matches. Uh, gotta love the fact that uh, some London uh, rivalries being played uh, for this development squad. Yeah, we'll start with Ballo. He spent the first half of the season on loan with Rapid Vienna, um, but didn't play as much as anyone thought. So he's coming back to Cobham. Uh, his loan options were somewhat restricted to domestic football because he played a development squad match at the start of the campaign. And FIFA have this rule where you're only allowed to play for uh, two clubs in the same calendar season. Um, and Chelsea would have counted as one of those. Now there is a, a loophole in that where you can go on loan to an EFL team. I believe it's previously been done before, but in, in lieu of that, he's come back to the development squad and he'll be a really big asset to have around in what is becoming a relegation battle uh, due to recent results. He was the joint top scorer last season. He's very experienced at that level and has the ability to play in midfield or anywhere across the forward line. So uh, Andy Myers is like definitely getting a good player back, but despite beating Leicester 5-0 to start 2022, they've subsequently lost to Arsenal, Crystal Palace and Manchester City. Arsenal was in the EFL Trophy. Uh, Palace and City were both in PL2. We'll get to the specifics of those games in a moment, but what it means is that Chelsea are currently just two points above the PL2 relegation zone with nine games to go. So there's everything in their hand to emerge safely. They do have games against Leeds and Blackburn, who are both below them right at the very end of the season. So those could be a win or bust for everybody involved. Um but four wins from 17 doesn't look good on paper. It doesn't tell the full story. And the particular games against Palace and City in the last month are instructive like that. They lost 3-2 at Palace in a game that was probably a fair result if it was a draw. Uh, Palace won it very late with a heavily, heavily deflected goal from long range. And then against City, who are the defending champions and top of the league again. Chelsea lost 1-0. Had numerous chances. They hit the post. City's goalkeeper, Kieran Slicker, had an outstanding individual game. And it's just not coming together. Even the defeat to Arsenal, which was 4-1 at the Emirates in the Cup, that was an even-fought game until Xavier Umbuyamba was sent off in the first half in very controversial circumstances. That killed the game as a contest, but that's neither here nor there. Andy Myers was speaking before the resumption of play after the Christmas break that they need to start scoring more goals. They need to... Uh, take the chances when they come. They need to be a little bit more opportunistic. Their top scorers, Brian Fiabemma and Harvey Vale, they've both got five goals this year. And Jay Wareham's got four. A lot of players have chipped in, but nobody's really taken on the mantle of 
scoring 10, 12, 14 goals for this team, which would be a very respectable tally. And it's not for the lack of trying, but at some point it's going to have to start turning in their favour. It's particularly with those games in April and May against Blackburn and Leeds, because we don't want to be talking about Chelsea dropping into the second tier of PL2 football. It's a competition standard that they don't want to be in. My my instinct is that they will avoid relegation, but they could do with picking up some points before those games. And they do they have a, a tough run between now and then, but so does everybody down there. Um, Chelsea probably have better all-round talent in the squad, but how available that talent is moving forward is anyone's guess. Let's say Harvey Vale goes on the uh, tour with the, the Club World Cup. He's unavailable for a little while. Um, he's their top scorer, an undeniable talent. But if him and Lewis Hall and whoever are unavailable for any given game because they're with the first team, it's a great opportunity to go with the first team. That is the design. That's what everybody wants. and Nobody will complain about it. But the challenge is still there for these boys to avoid relegation. And some of them didn't go out on loan for that reason. I mean, that's not something that we talk about, all right, is relegation with Chelsea's academy. Um, I think, you know, it is interesting because some of the players are playing up and we're like looking at them. What? Remind me, what level was Tammy Abraham banging in 60 goals a season? Was that dev squad or 18? It was majority 18s, but he was scoring for the dev squad by the end of the season. Him and uh, Dominic Solanke both scored 41 goals in the same season. Dom scored more of them in the under-23 development squad and in the UEFA Youth League. Tammy was doing it slightly more in the 18s because they're a little age group apart, but... For the most part, they they were able to score confidently at this level. And Chelsea haven't really lacked goal scorers at this level. They were champions, nineteen twenty. They've they've always had the ability to to score and to defend well. And it's just they've lost five games by a single goal this season, and they've drawn five more in the PL two. And these are five. If if you take half of those games and add points to them. They're in a very respectable mid-table position. They haven't played as badly as their record stand. There have been games where they've been bad, but that's always the case. But I don't think it's particularly reflective of this group that they are 11th of 14 in PL2 Division 1. All right. Well, um, we'll have to figure it out. I mean, long story short, we got we to gotta survive the relegation battle. No doubts about that. Um, you said only nine matches left? Yeah, which is quite a lot. It's, it's plenty of games for them to get points in, but those are going to come thick and fast. And depending on their progress in other cup competitions, there'll be a demanding schedule and it's, it's ultimately on everybody to step up. Like I said, yeah. I think I think it's in their hands to avoid relegation, particularly with the games against Leeds and Blackburn, assuming that things don't go terribly wrong before then and they're, they're left out of reach. But it might well come down to that sort of last two, three games of the season. Okay. Um, all right. Well, we'll pay attention to that. Um, you 18s, right? So obviously dev squad down to the 18s. Uh, you've got right here. Uh, we've draw, we drew versus Brighton loss versus Arsenal beat Villa, uh, close title race. I mean, what the hell is going on with losing to our London rivals? Yeah. The Arsenal game was very disappointing. The, uh, the Arsenal are a good team, but not having the best season. That game was the start of three games away from home in seven days. So they went to Villa the midweek afterwards and uh, Villa have been struggling. So Chelsea won that handsomely and then it culminated with the comeback at Liverpool. I'm not suggesting that the youth cut was any sort of distraction or anything. Chelsea just didn't turn up on the day against Arsenal. That's going to happen with young players from time to time. What we can say is that the under-18s are currently top of the South League table um, by goal difference from West Ham United. But it is a very, very 
close title race. The top six teams are separated by four points. Some have games in hand on each other, but they're all going to play each other before this season's done. There are 26 games in this league too. Chelsea have played 14, so just over halfway. Leicester have played 12. They're not even at the halfway point in their own fixture that's left. There is a lot of football still to be played in this league. And it's there for the taking. Once again, Chelsea have been outstanding for the most part. They've scored six more goals than anybody else in the South. They've been utterly prolific, apart from the three games that they've lost in which they were held off the score sheet. Um, That's going to happen from time to time. But they've got talent and goal scoring in abundance. Malik Mothersill is top scorer. Uh, Edwin Anderson, he's been, he's got five goals, nine assists. Five goals, uh, Leo Castledine, five goals, seven assists. They've just welcomed Ronnie Stutter back from uh, a broken vert. He was brilliant in the first half of the season. They've got talent coming in from the under 16s. There's, there's depth in this group. They'll be fighting on both fronts because they're in the Youth Cup quarterfinals and that will take priority. So then you rely on the second tier of players, as I don't like to call them, but this is a a full squad for a reason because they will be competing on three fronts. They're in the quarterfinals of the Under-18 League Cup. Uh, They host Manchester United at Cobham in that on the 12th of February. Chelsea have won that before. They've won everything across this before under Jody Morris, under Joe Edwards previously. It's about time that they started, that they won it again. They haven't won it since Morris departed. Uh, They're certainly through no fault of anybody else's. Fulham had an outstanding crop that won back-to-back South League titles. Uh, Manchester City have won the National League title. Um, But very close right now. Lots of football still to be played. But I'd still fancy that Chelsea finish top. I'm always going to say that, though. I will always back these boys. Right. Like, I'm pretty sure we said the dev squad were like, yeah, they'll win a couple trophies, whatever. Now we're like, oh, we're in a relegation scrap. Oh, we'll definitely avoid the relegation. Like, we're always going to lean wherever we're at in that situation. But it is good to hear that the 18s are, are, you know, having that success, uh, you know, across multiple fronts. Because as we're learning, that's the Chelsea way in the first in the first team, right? Uh, We've got Premier League, Club World Cup, League Cup Final, FA Cup, rolling still in the Champions League. Uh, we need uh, players Absolutely. used to, Absolutely. to playing midweek. One of the, the the values of the club is to play to win. And you hear it in academy football, the performances and development come first and results come second. And I never really quite buy into that. And certainly Chelsea don't because you're in professional football to win, to develop winners, to condition players to have the mentality that every game and every trophy matters. And that doesn't have to start at the age of 10, 11, 12, 13. But as you grow older, as you get into the professional phase from the age of 14, 15, 16, 17, it's that point where you start to impress upon the players the importance of winning, the importance of success, because ultimately that's going to carry you through to the highest possible levels. And you've seen it. Chelsea won the Champions League with a bunch of academy boys who have won everything there is to win at academy level. Uh, And... That, as much as anything, underpins the success of the academy, not just on the pitch, but in terms of providing players to a high professional standard, whether at Chelsea or anywhere else. And you look around the squads in, in England and across Europe, and you're most more likely than not to come across an ex-Chelsea academy boy right now. Right. And no, it's absolutely true. Uh, you know, talk about winner's mentality or coach that's won something. I mean, there is credit to it because at the end of the day, you can be a brilliant team. But if you, you know, at the end, if you got to win a tournament or a cup or something like you you got to do something a little extra, right? Or there's an extra piece of sacrifice you're not normally having to do like in a 38, uh, you know, league campaign and things like that. And I think that's part of the reason why Tuchel's probably so successful in the tournament uh, competitions. Um, they're just kind of his sweet spot. They're right up his alley. So uh, the academy taking, taking no steps back, which I love. 
Um, then lastly, obviously, we have the U19s. So obviously, the U19 is uh, not a temporary team, right? But they're just they don't play as consistently. Blends the squads a little bit. They're in the UEFA. Yeah, exactly. Youth, they just uh, play Champions the European League. competition. Yeah, exactly. So they're back. They're me playing uh, Genk. They are. It's a playoff for the right to advance to the last sixteen of the UEFA Youth League. As a very quick reminder, the UEFA Youth League group stage mirrors the Champions League group stage. Uh, so Chelsea were in the same group as the the first team with Juventus and Zenit and Malmo. Um, Chelsea finished second in that group at under nineteen level. Juventus won it. The group winners go through straight to the last sixteen. The eight group runners up play eight teams who have come through. A tournament on the side, which is uh, the domestic champions path. So for clubs who don't have a senior team that qualify for the Champions League, but were their own national youth champions, uh, it gives them an entry into the, the top level uh, youth European competition. Uh, Genk were one of those such teams. Chelsea have to travel to Belgium for a one-off match for the right to get into the last 16. Um, they were clearly second best to Juventus in both home and away matches, but... Genk, uh, very strong academy, very decent team. It'll be a tough game for Chelsea. It may go all the way. It has to be played to a finish. Um, but obviously, we all hope that Chelsea will get through into the last 16 of a tournament that they've won twice. They've been runners-up in twice. But again, in like the Youth Cup in the last couple of editions, they haven't quite made it back to the same levels as they were before. And it would certainly be nice if they did so again this year. You're probably bullish, aren't you? <laughs> I'm always bullish. I'm always bullish. I will back them to get through this, and then you see you see what the draws throw at you. They are one-off ties all the way through to the semi-final and final weekend in April in Neon. So Chelsea have shown before that they're often at their best in straight knockout competition. First team academy, whatever it is, it, like you were just saying, there's something about cup football and this club that comes together. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I just shot you text because this is how we run this pod. AOB, you've got that in the script. What's AOB? Any other business? Any other business? Well, no shit. Frank Lampard pillaging our academy for coaches, Phil. What the hell? Exactly. Uh, yeah, we can uh, wish Joe Edwards and Ashley Cole luck in their new ventures at Everton. Joe was at Chelsea for 27 years. Man and boy, he started out as a young player, came all the way through, didn't quite make the grade to earn a scholarship was very quickly invited back to work within the academy, answering phones to start with, and literally went all the way through to become first-team coach and Champions League winner under Thomas Tuchel. An incredible journey for one of the nicest guys you can meet in football. Definitely um, deserves this opportunity to be the Lampard's assistant at Premier League level, which is a step towards becoming a manager in his own right at some point, and he'll be a very, very good one when he does. Uh, Ashley Cole has been at Chelsea for a little while in a part-time capacity working with the under-16s, under-17s. He's also England under-21 assistant manager. Uh, obviously, his name and reputation and playing career carries a little bit more weight than Joe's did, with all respect. So he's a prominent name for somebody to want to bring in. As Frank tries to build a little bit more of a, an experienced and wide-ranging staff than he had at Chelsea. You try to learn from your experiences. Where was he short at Chelsea? Why was he short? Where could he learn from? Paul Clement's coming now. Paul Clement was, again, a Chelsea Academy coach way back in the day. Uh, took Chelsea to the Youth Cup final in 2008, I think. Um, they lost it to Manchester City in Daniel Sturridge. Has won the Champions League with Real Madrid. He's been with Carlo Ancelotti at some of the biggest clubs in the world. 
Uh, that's a, a really, really strong ally to have on your coaching staff. And he's, he's obviously he's got Chris Jones back with him as a fitness coach, but I think it's a disservice to call him just a fitness coach. Chris Jones does a lot to support that team. Uh, and yeah, wishing them all the very best up at Everton, apart from the games where they play Chelsea, of course. But if they can take more points off of Chelsea's rivals and um, who knows, take a Loney or two here and there, take a Ross Barkley or two here or there where Chelsea are trying to move on players, we'll wait and see. Uh, but yeah, the academy has lost two very talented coaches, but they'll do what they always do. They'll reset, they'll redistribute. They've got a, a ton of talented coaches in the system. This is what they're designed to do as well. You try to develop players, you try to develop staff. You you want the best for them and they'll send them on their way with good wishes. Whether or not we see an academy advocate on Tuchel's staff for the start of next season or not, we don't know. Depends on your perspective as to how important it is for somebody to be on that side of the road who has that connection with the academy and can foster friendships, relationships and offer good advice to the coaching staff and Tuchel about who's ready to come over. You may not need that if you have a manager who is genuinely interested in having the conversation with Neil Bath and whoever. It's undeniably a help in my opinion, but we'll see if it changes for the start of next season because they've said it won't for this. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to make any changes to Tuchel's staff for the rest of the season, which makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. It's one of those things that if you're pushing somebody in there just to fill a role, it's easy to marginalize them and it's kind of pointless. You'd like to all right, leave things, leave the status quo as it is for now. Have big conversations in the off-season about how you're going to structure things. What does the pathway look like? What does the relationship look like between First Team Academy? And give more time and consideration to a very important topic. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and then obviously, you know, Lampard are immediately talking about the importance of Everton's Academy and, and getting that so uh, true form from, from Lamps. Uh, but yeah, it'll be a little bit weird not having Jody or Joe uh, in the Academy. I mean, it's definitely going to be a big hole, but to your point, love hearing that there's going to be you know, more people to step up and be the next Jody, right? And be the next Joe Edwards of of Chelsea's, uh, you know, famed academy uh, down in Cobham. So, uh, yeah, some changes, but nothing that uh, Chelsea weren't ready for, which is what you love to hear. So, um, yeah, I guess AOB to you, Phil? Uh, nothing else, really. Uh, one of those coaches who may be taking on more responsibility for next season, depending on how things go, is John Terry, of course, who returned to the academy in a... Wide-ranging capacity at the start of January, but clearly with eyes and ambitions on bigger things for next season. Depends on what vacancies occur, who moves around. The man is back at the club. Maybe no, no bigger influential figure in Chelsea's recent history on the pitch than him. So we'll see what materialises between now and then. Oh, come on. You know what's going to materialize. Chelsea going to be the first club to uh, completely enter the NFT metaverse, the way things are going to Captain JT. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we talked with Matt Law about that and kind of the implications he's made for himself uh, using Chelsea uh, potentially trademarked and patented things and obviously the Premier League and the Champions League. So uh, hopefully he can get beyond that and back to just focusing on coaching because to your point, uh, he has everything to give uh, these players from a mentality, from an encouragement standpoint. There's not a lot of people that can walk into Chelsea, give a kid a pat on the back, and that might be enough to take them to an amazing career. I mean, he you can't underestimate his presence and uh, power in that academy, Phil. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm at the risk of earning the ire of a certain portion of Chelsea's fan base, uh, Declan Rice has spoken in glowing terms of John Terry more than once. He did the overlap with Gary Neville on Sky this past week um, and mentioned that 
when when he was released at 14 uh jt gave him a call and they've had a really strong relationship ever since and just by having those regular chats with somebody who has done everything there is to do in the english game and represented the country numerous times to high distinction just having somebody like that around to to have a word with to, to learn something from just to pull a little nugget of gold from can only be good we've, we've seen chelsea invite so many academy graduates back to the club over the years and it's another reason why the academy itself is so successful and it's not just the academy graduates themselves it's the likes of ashley cole and frank lampard who weren't academy graduates but came to represent and be chelsea themselves more than they were arsenal or west ham uh, by their own admissions and Someone, uh, people, someone like Cesc Fabregas clearly identifies more with Chelsea than Arsenal these days. Uh, when his playing career is done, I'm sure there'll be an extension, uh, an, an invitation extended to him and to others. Look, if you want to coach, the academy is open to you because it's a goldmine to learn from. Yeah, no, absolutely. I uh, love it. Well, let's wrap on that one, Phil. But uh, more content coming from us. Obviously, Phil can be found at Chelsea Youth. Uh, it's been a lot going on in his lane lately, so it's good to see. And obviously, Phil, you talk a lot about the women's team as well. So you get to share your knowledge across uh, a couple of the teams. Uh, actually, technically all of them, let's be honest. So uh, kudos to you for for supporting that initiative as well. Uh, it's one club. These are fantastic players. That I don't. Uh, anyone should take joy in watching and supporting. The, the women's team is a genuine pleasure to watch um, and I would encourage everybody to at least check them out. I, I'm not going to sit here and demand that everybody supports teams to, to different levels, whatever you've got going on in your life, whatever time you have. If the game's on and you have the time, you'll like what you see. Yeah. Uh, the fact that we have Emma Hayes in charge and at this stage in her career, uh, there's probably going to be few, uh, far and fewer better times than what we have right now. Genuinely one of the best managers in all of world football leading the club. So anyways, that's a tangent. That's for Blue Royalty with Abdullah, uh, Jesse, and, and Nick. So shout out to them for being there every single week. But Phil, appreciate your time. Uh, Chelsea fans, hope you've enjoyed it. Look, it's international break. We're still trying to bring you content throughout the time. I know the guys just did a mailbag. We're going to try to get uh, Matt Law on some stuff as well. So uh, look, I'll call up Tweeds get him back on the Tinkerman, get another one rolling. So uh, always, always more content. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.